0: recasting the essence of the New Testament doctrine and so the religious this is from Bernard Ram on his book Protestant Biblical Interpretation and so there's this thing called hermeneutics that we go by and so I I don't just get up and just preach any way I want to there's a way that you should preach to preach for accuracy and it's called hermeneutics. This guy Bernard Ram wrote this book on hermeneutics and it's called Protestant Biblical Interpretation and so he says this about some people, and how they interpret scripture. He says, the religious liberal feels it is his assignment to recast the essence of the New Testament doctrine in the language of his contemporaries, and in so doing must strip off all the concepts and images of the Old and New Testament cultures. And that's what's happened. Now, I've told you, showed you the extreme of it. You've, uh, we, in Bible Institute, showed you the cotton patch Bible. <laughs> right. That would be the extreme of it, Right. And so this guy, he doesn't think that people in the inner city could be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. So he takes it and puts it in a vernacular that they can understand, the Cotton Patch Bible. He recasts Jesus from being in Jerusalem to being in Valdosta, Georgia. <laughs> and, and this kind of foolishness, the kind of vernacular that he used in there, is really insulting <laughs> in the way that it. But you have people who think... You got to water the Bible down because people are too stupid. They can't understand it. But you know what the truth is? We don't have confidence in me or you. We have confidence that the Holy Spirit will illuminate your mind to get you to understand what you need to understand. We don't have to change the translation. We just have to teach, and the Holy Spirit will then illuminate you. That makes a difference. And it doesn't really matter what the translation is if you're illuminated. That's the thing (laughs) that matters. All right, we come to our uh, issue on spiritual gifts that we've been preaching on. This is the 12th message. And uh, so I hope that through here we're we're uh, helping you to see what Scripture says about spiritual gifts and that you are getting a handle on it, that you understand that you have one spiritual gift and that God is using you with that spiritual gift. And this has been a question that has come up, and so I did a little chart. As you know by now, I just am into this chart thing. (laughs) So we have another one. And on page, um, what is that, five, we have a chart that talks about distinguishing normal and gifted uses uses of the gift. So a lot of people will say, I have all of these gifts. And the reason you might say that is that you have the ability to function in a lot of these gifts. But if you look at this chart, one of the things that you'll see is that the person with the gift is far above what you can do. A lot of people can teach. But the person with the spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit is giving him an ability that is above what is not normal. A lot of people can have mercy, but the person with the gift of mercy is going to take it to an an extent that you and I are going to give up on. A lot of people can have faith. The person with the gift of faith is gifted in such a way that they are able to go the distance when everybody else is fainted. Now, when we get to this, we'll show you a good example of a guy with the gift of faith, George Mueller. And I would dare say, unless you have the gift of faith, you wouldn't do what George Mueller did. You know what he did? He (laughs) rejected all kinds of things from, uh, he was a pastor. He didn't want church to give him anything. He wouldn't, didn't want anything. He was just gonna trust God in everything. And he wrote a book about his life and what happened with just trusting God and how God provided. And I I don't, I haven't seen that in America. (laughs) a lot of people because a lot of it came right down to the line and God provided at the right time you see that person with that gift of faith like that not everybody can do that not everybody can disavow having an income and just trust God to provide in every situation and you would look at that and some people would say well hey you got to be a George Mueller no you don't you got to be you you see not everybody is a George Mueller But everybody has a gift, and you've got to be and use your gift that God has given you. And that's where I think a lot of the problem has come in, is that people have a gift. They see someone with a spiritual gift and how it's working, and then they think that every believer has to be just like that person. You see? No, that's not true. That's not true. Then the body would not be what it is, and that's why it's so distinct, and it it functions differently. And so here you, you see in this chart here, Uh, So you have these gifted qualities, and then you have normal qualities. And I believe these are the differences that would distinguish them. But the Holy Spirit is empowering either way. Whether you're using this gift uh, as a gift or you're using it uh, just filling in, you're still the Holy Spirit is the one that is giving you the power to do it. So I I think that as you see with these gifts, you see the person that has the gift, they're more of a yearning, they're inherent capabilities uh, that they have to do that gift they're very proficient in doing that gift and they have a tireless desire to do that gift. And so you will find that maybe you see somebody who has that gift and you say, well, I want to be like them. Well, but I don't have the desire to do that to the end that they want. Well, maybe it's because it's not your gift, right? And then you feel guilty about it, right? You feel guilty. why, Why am I not like that person, right? Well, maybe it's because it's not your gift. It doesn't mean that you can't function in that it means that that person has been gifted to a degree that they have an ability to do things that you cannot do. And that's sobering for us as believers to believe. But that's how God has actually set it forth. And I really think a lot of the guilt that people feel is they're measuring themselves by what other people are doing and they cannot reach that measurement. Like, for example, evangelism. I mean, you've been told that every believer can be an evangelist. That Again, I'm still waiting to find a scripture that says that. Anybody see a scripture that says everybody's an evangelist? Oh, it's got to be there somewhere. It's got to be there somewhere because everybody's saying it. So it's got to be here somewhere. I just haven't found it. But can you show me if you find it? And so everybody goes out trying to be an evangelist, and then you feel awkward. You get around someone, and they say, get away from me. (laughs) Right? I just think the person with the gift of evangelism has the ability to talk to people that you and I don't have the ability to talk to. And I think the Holy Spirit uses them in that way. So you see, there is a normal use of these things. And then there's a person with the gift that is proficient way above the average believer. And I think that is the distinction between one who has the gift and one who doesn't. And I think it's important for you to know that because if you understand that, you will understand what your gift is and to know how the Holy Spirit is working with you. And that makes a huge difference. And so we come to the gift of exaltation today, and this is a very interesting gift. A lot said about exaltation. first few gifts, we haven't um, had a lot of information. These ones we do. And exaltation is a really interesting gift. Uh, My wife has the gift of exaltation. And uh, remember, you have to submit to people who have their gifts. For the gifting, and I'm sometimes asking her, Is that your gift or are you just being carnal? (laughs) I want to say it's her being carnal. (laughs) But you know, many times the Holy Spirit is using her to exhort me in ways that if I don't listen and I haven't listened, that I don't get the benefit. And you can really see it, and and it comes across, and you're going to see this person with the gift of exhortation that they can do two sides of it. They can be very direct with people. And that, particularly in our society today, people who are very direct with you and are admonishing you, people don't like it. They don't like being admonished today. What is admonishment? You set something before someone and you say, this is the, these are the facts. These are the facts of what's happening here. And boy, people don't like it when you do that. But it helps you. I can see that there's been times my wife has said, Kevin, I wouldn't do that. This is the, ah, I'm, You can't tell me what to do. I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> Boy, it's coming back to bite me. We don't like having people present the facts to us a lot. We were just talking about that, me and Carl. We're in a society today of a lot of mamby pambiness. It's just a mamby pamby society where everybody wants to be talked well to no please don't say anything above a certain decibel to me i can't handle it <laughs> right this is what we are in this culture today and so to say and to speak and to say the truth for a lot of people that's let me go to my safe place i can't handle it and that's kind of what we are and that that give exhortation It has that capacity we're going to see. And then the other side of it is that it has the capacity also to recognize when a person is spiritual that everybody doesn't need that kind of exhortation. Maybe they need to be encouraged. And you just come alongside of them and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. What you're going through is going to be okay. And that person with that gift has those two capacities, and they have that ability to be able to do that. And when they're spiritual... It works. When they're spiritual, they can admonish someone and because they are led by the Spirit to do it, and it works. I've seen a couple of weeks ago, in fact, uh, I've seen Joyce at work with her gift, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I wouldn't have said that. (laughs) I'm wondering, how is this person going to take this? And to my surprise, they took it very well. You know why? Because she was led by the Spirit to do it. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have said it that way. But when someone is led by the Spirit to do it, it's going to be the right circumstance. And so uh, you, you'll see that. And so yeah, this person really is important in the church. Now, I put this under what we call, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look four weeks, we're going to look at pe- these gifts that are motivating gifts. And what they are designed to do is to motivate people to do the things that they know they should be doing. And so they're motivating gifts, and you'll see this with the gift of faith. And so they they motivate the saints to, come on, this is where we need to be going. This is how we can get it done. This is what's supposed to be happening. And there is a motivation That the person with the gift of exhortation can bring to the local church that helps the the believers in that church and helps the body at large. And we'll see it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the ability to accomplish those things that you desire as we're led by the Spirit. Thankful that we've been gifted using our spiritual gift to accomplish those things that you desire. We're thankful that all the believers can operate in these things, but you have gifted certain believers that is above what is normal to be able to use their spiritual gift to accomplish in a way that is able to uh, accomplish the things that you desire uh, accomplished in the body and so we're thankful for that potential in your son's name we pray amen and so we look at the name that embodies the function of the gift of exhortation, and we want to operate from uh, Romans the 12th chapter in verse 8 and so we see this gift of exhortation. <clears throat> let I say Romans 12 verse 8 Okay, just making sure. And so we, we've been working from here. And remember, <clears throat> here in, you find two places where the majority of the gifts are used, and it's in Romans 12 and First Corinthians 12. And you have your temporary and your uh, permanent gifts being talked about in those two chapters primarily. And so verse 6, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us distinction among gifts uh, and so whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry let us wait on our ministering or he that teaches on teaching or he exhorts on exhortation or in the exhortation and so the word for exhortation here is the word parakala'on. and uh, you have a compound word here para which means to come alongside of and so when you, the parapaposition means that you're coming alongside of, there's a uh, street out in uh, the airport. I don't know if you've been out to the Titusville Airport when I used to d- deliver out there a lot, and it's called perimeter, right? Uh, alongside a meter kind of idea are paramedic, medics that are not really medical people. Well, they are. They're alongside of med- medical people. And so that idea of uh, to come alongside of. And then the word kala'on is really from the word kala'o, and it's really one who calls upon another. So in composition, this prayer means to, appe- and this is my definition of it, an appeal made to weak believers to comfort the heart, the admonishing of believers to act in accordance with the truth of God's word. And so this person has that ability to appeal to weak believers and encourage them. Come on, come on, it's going to be okay. You can do it. And to admonish other believers uh, to act in accordance with what they know the truth of God's word says. Dr. Schaefer said one time that he was, was a guy that was carnal in his church. And I remember his name, Mart, is what he, he said the guy's name was. And Mart, you know, when you're carnal, a lot of people can be carnal and they get attention from other people. And people say, Oh, isn't it? They sympathize with, Oh, yeah, I I understand what you're going through. So this guy had fallen into this, and he was getting sympathy from people, and he never wanted to come out of it. So Dr. Shaver said he went over to the guy's house, and he says, Mark, you're carnal, you need to stop this. He says, Oh, you're right. But I was getting so much attention, I didn't want to stop. He admitted it. (laughs) So you can exhort people to do they know is true. But let me give you an example. There's several examples. Uh, actually, uh, it's actually translated a lot of different words. But just look up in, uh, in, cha- in verse 1 of chapter 12. You see it used here in the, uh, the verbal form. And Paul, it's actually translated beseech. And so it's really, it's I, I beseech you or I exhort you is what Paul is actually saying here. I exhort you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your logical priestly service. And so Paul is exhorting these Romans to do what they should do and what should they have done. Offer their bodies a living sacrifice, which they weren't doing. They were actually engaging in. Notice what he says here in verse 2. And be not conformed not to this word world. That's not the word that is there. And, it's a, and it's, it's a tragedy. The mistranslations of the word world when it really should be this word, age. Stop being conformed to this age. And there's a huge difference between those two words. But be transformed by the renewedness of your mind. Here's an exhortation Paul's going to the Romans. Stop it. This is not the kind of behavior you should be engaging in. This is what you should be doing. And boy, I don't, you know, we exhort from the pulpit. We do. But when you exhort to people one-on-one, it gets a little dicey today. Because you've been told you're special. A lot of people all their life have been told, well, you're so special. And the things about you special. And you have somebody to tell you well, what you're doing is not so special. People don't like it. And so the truth is, is a problem. And so look at Ephesians 4. You'll see this word used again. Ephesians 4, chapter 1. <clears throat> and so here you see Paul telling the Ephesians. And so... The Ephesian church was really a great church, but they had some problems. You know, if you ever tell somebody to stop doing something, it really shows that they have the potential to do it. Um, I wouldn't tell Cohen to stop thinking about quantum physics. <laughs> there we go again, Cohen. He doesn't have the capacity to do that. You tell people, at least right now, not right now, Cohen. <laughs> but you tell people to stop doing Something that they are doing, or they have the capacity to do it. Now, notice what Paul tells these Ephesians here, uh, in verse one of chapter one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called, with all lowliness of uh, all lowliness and meekness, and with long suffering, forbearing one another, uh, and really by means of love. And so, this word forbearing is uh, you. The uh, putting up with the idiosyncrasies of, of believers. You know, it's not an easy thing to get along with other people. I know that this is not a shock to you, right? <laughs> and one of the biggest problems is getting along with people, even when you become a believer. If you're not spiritual, people will do things that will get on your nerves. And, but you are equipped as believers to deal with it. forbearing. There are people who do things that I don't necessarily like or I would not do, but I'm okay with them doing it, right? Uh, some people forbear with me eating chitlins. My wife does. She was, wouldn't do it, but she forbears. That's Courtney and Darlene. But we have other people in our family. We do have a chitlin side with Jeff and Josh, so we're good with that. <laughs> And so this forbearance is that you can put up with things that other people do and you have the capacity to do it. And so and it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, of the spirit, even as you're called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one face, one baptism. Notice the word beseech. I, I, I exhort you. Therefore, so I am saying this is what you ought to be doing as believers. And so, and you're placing that before the believer, and you're saying this is the kind of things that you should be doing. Now, notice there's other places you see, and I put it on the outline uh, under the definition here. You could see it used in Acts 15 of the Gentiles over the requirements handed to them. And notice Acts 15, verse 31. Now, this is the church council um, that uh, was. Uh, That they had in um, the first church council that took place about, and the question of the council was whether or not the Gentiles should be under law. And that was what was at uh, the question here. And so they discussed this, and Paul told them about what God was doing with uh, the Gentiles um, as he went out. And uh, notice they decided that they would give these um, edicts that the Gentiles should abide by and that they weren't under law. Again, Two places you could show that the the believers, the Gentiles, or even the church, the believers today, particularly if you're Gentiles, and I don't see anybody with yarmulkes on today, that all of us here were Gentiles. You have never, if you are a Gentile, you have never been under law. Ever. This is what the question was about in the early church. Should the Gentiles be under law? And the question was, and you see it in Romans, the, the second chapter in verse 15, that the Gentiles, which have what? Not the law. You see? Gentiles have never been under law. It was the Jews that were under law. And so this question settles it in Acts 15, that the Gentiles should not be under law. And so we'll see it here. Uh, Let's pick it up, if we would, um, in verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication... And from things strangled from blood, for Moses of all time had in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues in every Sabbath. And so they gave him the not for them, uh, and they thought they were going to make them better believers, but they didn't want them to offend the Jews, you see. Then pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own to Antioch Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. Namely, Judas surnamed Bersabbas and Silas and chief men among the brethren, and they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and the brethren send greetings unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For so much as we heard that certain went, went out from us have troubled you. Now notice how doctrine and what you believe matter. Notice this false teaching that they were under law, what it was doing to these believers. Subverting your souls, you see. If you teach something that is not true, you can undermine the faith of believers, which is happening quite often. Subverting your soul, saying that you must or it is necessary that you be circumcised and to keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. You see. They weren't under law. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from meat offered to idols, and from blood, from these things, from fornication from which if you do, you keep uh, yourselves, you will do well. Well, for when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, and they delivered the epistle, and when they were read, they, rezo- they rejoiced for the consolation or the exhortation that were given them. They were so happy about it, you see. You don't think that what you believe doesn't matter. I say what you believe affects how you live. Show me how a guy lives. I'll tell you what he believes. And you don't think it matters? Oh, yeah, it matters. It really does matter. So you see this, and notice this idea of exhortation. And so to come alongside of, to exhort, to admonish someone, hey, this is how you ought to be living, or to encourage them, hey, this is what you can be doing. And that person with that gift has a... Uh, I like the way Pastor Dave says he has a radar. When you have this gift, it's like you have a radar that directs you in the right location in the pathway to do and use that gift to the person that needs it the most. And I think that radar is the Holy Spirit, of course. So you see these two sides of it. And let's look at a couple of just distinct differences between these two. And So exhortation includes an admonishment of believers to achieve the behavior Believers are capable of accomplishing, and so let's give you another illustration. I look at Romans the 16th chapter in verse 17. Romans chapter 16 verse 17. Now Paul in Romans chapter 16 <clears throat> is admonishing some of the. There were some problems with some of the believers in the church, and uh, they were causing divisions. And notice what he says here in verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren. Mark them <clears throat> which uh, cause division. <clears throat> and so the idea is you mark them and a the word for beseech is actually a word again is to exhort you brethren. You scope out them. That word mark is you ever seen a periscope? And so you had your sailors they use that periscope and they would look out looking for a particular thing and that's the word as you mark, is you scope out them which cause divisions, uh, contrary uh, offense is contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are uh, such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You see this going on at nauseam in Christendom. You see people who are teaching things that are inconsistent with living by grace. It's, I, I, we're at a point today where it's full I mean, it's, it's, not, it's out of control. And so, what do you say? You, you mark those that, that are teaching things contrary uh, to uh, this doctrine. It really it's a arcade this doctrine for New Testament practice. And notice he say, you avoid them. You avoid them. And, uh, and so that, that happens at times. And so notice I exhort you. And so this deal of exhortation is that you're placing something before the mind. You're admonishing people. This is what you need to really do. Now notice the other side of it. Uh, you see it in 2 Corinthians 1. I, I like to use this. And this really is used this way uh, several times in 2 Corinthians. Of the comfort or the encouragement it's not all just beating you upside the head. <laughs> but there are times where you where believers don't need to be told the truth. They already know it. You just come and you say, man, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Look at Second Corinthians, the first chapter, and you'll see it in verse 3. Paul writes this, he says, Blessed is the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Um, and so here in verse 3, it's actually uh, paraklesos. Uh, and, and notice in verse 4, who comforts us are the one comforting us. And notice when there's really the need for having some encouragement and people to encourage you in all of our afflictions. What is the word for afflictions here? It's the word thalipsis. Philipsis ellipsis is this ideal of pressures. Now, I, every time I come here, I like to use my Batman illustration. We used to watch, like to watch Batman and Robin when we were younger. And the greatest um, episode was when they threw Batman and Robin into this hole and the walls were closing in all around them. You guys remember that episode? I see somebody smiling, they do. <laughs> and then, you know, the caption, could this be the end of the Cape Crusaders? And it looked like they were everywhere they looked, the walls were coming in. Do you know that's what this word is? Who comforts us in all of our afflictions. That there are times in life that everywhere you look, pressures. Pressure. It looks like everything is just closing in on you from everywhere you look. And it says that God, the Father, has the ability to comfort those who belong to him. And all of our afflictions, all of our pressures, knowing—notice why he does it. He comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them, which are um, uh, to comfort them, which are in any trouble by the comfort where when we were also comforted by God. See that? Isn't that interesting? God allows us to be in afflictions; he comforts us. Now we can comfort others. The same comfort that he comforted us by, and notice how he does it. do you know that he uses other believers? Look at the seventh chapter of second Corinthians second Corinthians chapter seven, now notice here, I just love this verse in the seventh chapter and this chapter because. Paul, when you're going through the book of Acts, you don't get a sense of what he's thinking with all of these things that he's going through. In 2 Corinthians, he tells you and gives you insight as to what he was thinking at some of these things. And you think that he's this super apostle, that nothing bothers him. Nothing could be further from the truth. Notice what he says to you here, uh, to the Corinthians here in in the 7th chapter. And verse 3. I speak not this to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am seeding joy in all of our tribulations. <clears throat> and there you have that issue again of affliction. And notice what he says here. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Now, If if you want to get a, uh, um, a handle on what he's talking about here, go and read the 16th, 17th, 18th chapters of Acts. And you'll see. They were wanting to go into Myasia. The Holy Spirit forbid them. He saw this vision of this guy saying, come into Macedonia and help us out. They go over into Macedonia and they arrive at this place called Philippi and all the trouble started. From there in Philippi on down until he went into Corinth, it was trouble, trouble, trouble. And you just read that. In Philippi, he cast out this demon out of this slave girl. They threw him in prison and beat him there. He goes into Thessalonica. He leads these people to the Lord. They run him out of Thessalonica down into Berea. They chase him down into Berea. He runs from Berea down into Athens. Uh, uh, um, he goes from Athens, and he gets down to Corinth. By the time he gets to Corinth, he is spent. And you don't think, oh, so this is the super apostle Paul. Why? It didn't, didn't bother him. Well, he tells you it did. Notice here. Our flesh had no relief Now, you may not remember this word, but I remember when we were a kid, this word, uh, we had some little past called anisons, right? It was in a little box like that. I don't know if you remember that. You know that word anison means? Relief. (laughs) There's no relief. He said, man, when we came into Macedonia, there was trouble. There were afflictions everywhere we turned. And he says, we were troubled on every side. I don't know that we would make it today as believers, right? I keep saying if trouble broke out in this country, all of the crosses would go off of people. No little uh, fish on the back of the cars. Everybody remove anything that would say that they were believers. Paul says we were troubled on every side. Notice what he says here. On the outside were fightings. People fighting against him on the outside. Now notice what really interesting to me is what he says here. He tells you what was happening in his mind. On the inside, what? Fears. You don't think that this didn't bother him? You read over in Acts, the 18th chapter, the Lord had to appear to Paul when he went into Corinth. He was so beside himself. And he tells him, stop fearing, Paul. I have many people in this city. There's no one who's going to set on you to hurt you. I have many people in this city. And notice how God brought some relief to him. Nevertheless, verse 6, God that comforts those, the one comforting those who are humble, really the word cast down is, I would say, humble, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And here he brought this believer, Titus, into Paul, who was able to bring some encouragement to him. You don't think that other believers matter? Oh, yeah. What you say and you are led to say to other believers at time, it makes a huge difference. And so here we see Paul and how it, it really and, and this side of it is that it, you'll see it on the gift of exhortation is that you can encourage people. And I think that he didn't come here and say, Paul, you know, you you did a few things down there that probably you shouldn't have done. I think he came and he's by his presence was able to bring encouragement to Paul. And you see that. And so notice Barnabas was the epitome of this. And he actually had this idea, this uh, uh, name that he was called the son of encouragement. And I do think that Barnabas probably had this spiritual gift of uh, encouragement. You see that in Acts, the fourth chapter in verse 36. I think the answer getting carried away up here. Yeah, that's a, they, They're after the bench, huh? And so, <laughs> so here we see Barnabas. And so back in the early church. And again, a lot of the things happen in Acts that only happen one time. And I don't think that you can set up a doctrine to follow everything that the church did in Acts. And this is one of them. First of all, there's not any apostles that lay the things at the feet of the church. But back during that time, they would all take their possessions and they would they would sell them and give the money to the apostles who helped those believers in the church. And there's notice in verse thirty three and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. Uh, neither was there any among them that lacked, as for as many as were possessors of lands or houses, sold them. Of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according that he had need. And uh, Jose, who uh, was by uh, the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted as a comfort or the a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Now, I think that Barnabas had this gift, and I think that he used it. It was interesting, as you go back into the Acts, the 15th chapter, we won't go back to this disagreement that he had with Paul. Uh, You don't think that saints have disagreements. Well, remember, as they were through with the church council, they were going to go back on the second apostolic journey, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Well, you go back and you study the story. John Mark was the guy that was sorted off with them. He was like their administrator. Something happened in Pamphylia, and we don't know what it was. And John Mark says, I'm going back home to Mama. (laughs) And he turned off and he went back. So Paul says, when they got ready to go back out again, I'm not taking that guy with us. Now, which side would you have fallen on? I'm not going to tell you which side I would have fallen on, but I think you might know. And Barnabas said, no, Paul, he's okay. We can go with him again. He'll he'll be okay this time. And Paul, the, the disagreement was so sharp that it says that they split up. Barnabas went one way and Paul went another. And so I believe Barnabas, you can see, had this given. Now notice an example in Acts, the 11th chapter. You see him encouraging the believers in the church. In Acts chapter 11, if I'm not mistaken, this is the church at Antioch here. 11th chapter uh, and verse uh, 22. In verse, let's start with verse 19. Acts 11. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now I want to show you something here that shows you that the Jews had a hard time going to the Gentiles. So after the church started, there were some years that had progressed before the Jews went to the Gentiles, even though they had been told to go to the Gentiles. Here's a proof of it right here. Preaching the word none but unto Jews only. You see? They still had a problem going to the Gentiles. And so you'll get over to chapter 12. God says, if you're not going to go, I'm going to make you go. And then Herod kills um, James, the brother of John. And there they go. They all ran. And so God can do that. Now notice, and some of them, were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching uh, the uh, Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then the tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. And when he had come he had, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart should they cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and many people were added unto the Lord. And so he uh, gave a word of exhortation there to the believers to, to hold or to cleave unto the Lord. And he I think it was later on you see that he says, um, he exhorted them that with much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God. But the means of exhortation of the one gift includes this. The love that is shown to other believers. Uh, Notice in Philemon, in verse 7, you can see this. This is a a chapter that we really, you don't see a lot of people uh, preach from. Um, There are some famous uh, sermons from this chapter, but uh, have anybody here read Philemon lately? (laughs) That's not one of the first books you stop at, is it? But it's really loaded with a lot of great doctrine. And so notice in verse seven of Philemon, uh, let's go back a little bit. So you have this guy who is a slave owner, Philemon, and notice what is said about him. So this is why I think the rubber meets gets down to where the rubber meets the road, is that this guy was acting out what he believed. And you could see it. Notice what Paul says about him. And so notice in verse uh for, for he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my worship, That word prayer is worship, having the uh, hearing of thy love, that you have fruit of the spirit. How do I know a guy is spiritual, that you and I are spiritual? You see the fruit of the spirit. You see it right there in Galatians 5, what the fruit of the spirit is. Notice what you see here. Paul mentions two fruits from the spirit that shows you this guy was spiritual. Hearing of your love and your faith, which thou hast noticed toward the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Just a beautiful thing to read. This is the way that God drew it up. That this kind of behavior is what's supposed to be exhibited among believers. That the communication of your faith might become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy. <clears throat> notice and here you have the word, the, uh, the ending on parakaleo is the, um, the, act, the action of being encouraged here. Joy and consolation, or really you could say encouragement.
1: And notice, and I would say,
0: how? Upon the basis of your love. Because the boughs of the saints are refreshed by you. So here's the guy. I really believe this guy had a lot of resources. And he was using those resources not just for himself, but for the saints. And I, and I really believe that God provides resources for us. And I don't think that those resources are just for me. But it's to use in the, uh, the, uh, the use of uh, accomplishing his will. And you see it here. And he says, wherefore, though I might be bold in Christ and to enjoin thee, which is convenient, yet for love's sake, I beseech thee. And then he goes on to the point of his message there is concerning Onesimus. But you see how love was a means of encouragement <coughs> by thee, upon the basis of Philemon showing love toward the saints, that the saints were encouraged. <laughs> love in the church matters. The real problem today is that the church has been taught to take love and direct it toward the world. You want to help the world build up the saints. That'll do more to help the unsaved people in the world than anything you can do. And notice uh, another way that you see it is the oral teaching of the word. Look at Acts 2.40, which uses a mean of exhortation. Acts 2.40. and so here we have um, Peter uh, exhorting the saints on the day of Pentecost of these Jewish believers and, and so here I really believe this was an opportunity for them to actually if they had believed I believed at that point the kingdom would have been set up then he gives them an opportunity to repent and he tells them that if you do that the son will return and set up his kingdom but they didn't do it Notice what happens here. Uh, we'll pick it up. Let's see. Uh, in verse 37 is where we'll pick it up. Now, with the, with, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you, and all your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God has called. And with many other words, or really many different kinds of words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this, that word untoward is from this crooked generation, or this crooked race. He's actually... And exhorting them to save themselves from this crooked Jewish race, and thats this you had many in the nation of Israel who were not really concerned about what God wanted, and you can see it on, down the line as they begin to persecute those who uh, wouldn't agree with them and so you see the word of exhortation there and how he used the word of God, and so there are many epistles that you can see in which God uses the word to exhort. The saints, and we saw also with other believers. Now, exhortation appeals to the heart, and so as you are uh, uh, doing exhortation, the person with the gift of is exhortating. They are appealing to the heart, and uh, we won't go through all that's involved in the heart. But I just tell you, the heart is made up not of this pumping uh, faculty here, but it's of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And these three uh, aspects of man is are, are what causes you to make decisions and to do what you do. Now, this is very important that you understand this. So in uh, biblical anthropology, we go through this and we show what man is really made up of. For example, um, your emotions, your soul is the seat of your emotions. Now, the sin nature, the fallen nature of man, it tells us in 1 Peter two eleven that it wars against your soul. I really believe a lot of the emotional problems people are having today are not psychological, they're spiritual. They're spiritual problems. And so they've been sent on wild goose chases, chasing after this, let me go back and see great grandpa because he slapped me when I was little and I've got to reconcile this in order to get it right so I can be right emotionally. No, your emotional problems are because you have a fallen nature and you don't know how to control it. In many instances, that's that's it's that simple, and so you have this, and so the mind, the will, and the emotion. But notice the exhortation is toward the heart of man, and it's an appeal to those three acts, aspects of man. And so, notice you see this. Look at Second uh, Thessalonians two, verse sixteen through seventeen. This is what Courtney says is my favorite chapter in the Bible. I have mentioned it quite a bit, <laughs> but. I really think that this is a great thing here when you see this and that no matter what you see going on into the, in the world you understand that God's going to set it straight uh, so in second Thessalonians but this is actually in chapter 2 where I was my favorite places in chapter 1 we won't go there I'm going to resist it in verse 16 <clears throat> look at what Paul says to the Thessalonians now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting, or really you say eternal constellation or comfort and good hope. And how is that? how does that come? By means of grace. Again, I believe psychologically grace can do a lot to stabilize a believer. I really believe it. And I don't think that I'm whistling Dixie. I think I've studied enough to see a lot of the problems for believers, they're not being empowered by grace. And their sin natures, Satan, and the world system is overrunning them. And they don't know how to overcome it. Notice what he says here again in verse 17, that it will comfort your heart's and establish you in every good work. I really, establish you? Stabilize you. The word there, sterizo, will stabilize you. I see so many believers. Saying, they're here, they're there, they're all over the place. They're. There's just no rhyme or reason to what they're going to do from day to day. They're just all over the map. They're unstable. There is a power that you can get when you live by the grace of God that is able to comfort your heart and stabilize you in a way that nothing else in this world can do. And it's just interesting to me that you see believers looking at all kinds of other places for this kind of stability and not finding it. And so one other place, look at, uh, uh, let's see, look at Colossians 2, and you'll see it used here. The believer's heart is comforted by understanding what the believers share in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 1 and 2. For I would that you would know what great conflict are, um, I have for you and for them that are at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be comforted being knit together. And I would say by love and unto all riches of the assurance of understanding the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of uh, Christ uh, uh, of the father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And notice Paul talks about the fact of the possibility of the hearts might be comforted. And notice the means of how that happened, being knit together by means of love and having a full assurance. We were talking about this last night. Notice the several words that he uses here that brings that kind of comfort, this understanding or this full assurance concerning the mystery, um, uh, the full experience of the mystery of the Christ, of of, uh, the, the, uh, the mystery of God. Belonging to uh, Christ is actually how you can translate that. And so this doctrine or this understanding of who the believer is and what God has done and how much that is able to comfort the believer. And so it's, just, it's a huge thing. And so we hear a lot of this. I, I'm convinced that on the other side of it that believers are going to get to uh, heaven when they die or when the rapture occurs. And you know what they say a mulligan is in golf? Right, you guys know, you guys are golfers. Isn't that a do-over? I think we're going to get to the other side of it and we're going to say, wow, look at what I had the opportunity to do. It just went right over my head, Dan. I think in my mind, as I look at playing football, if I'd have known now what I knew when I was in high school, I could have played professional football. Maybe it's kind of delusional, <laughs> but I think that, right? All of the things that I understand now, Right. Think about many things that you have done and all the things I understand now about that. If I had understood them years ago, how much it would have affected my life. You and I have the opportunity to understand those things now. And it would make a huge difference in how we live this life. And so notice results of the the believer with the gift of exhortation. the faith of believers are strengthened. Believers are able to rejoice because of it, and believers are motivated to endure circumstances. When you have somebody who has the gift of exhortation, they can exhort people in such a way that a believer gains that second wind to actually accomplish those things that God wants them to accomplish. This is a huge gift. It really is. And notice the characteristics of the persons with the gift of exhortation is they have a desire to see believers become all that God desires for them. They are unashamed in a direct appeal to believers' behavior, to behave you better. Like I told you, I've seen Joyce exhort people, and I would think, uh, I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't have the spine for it. But I think what it is, is that she's led to do it. And when you're led to do it, God's working in the situation and it works. They can comfort believers who are weak minded. There are a lot of believers. What Paul says in First Thessalonians 5, comfort the feeble minded. They word for feeble-minded, there are people who have not learned how to overcome in the Christian life, and their souls are getting the better of them. You see? Their emotions are overrunning them, and they don't know how to do it. And a person with the gift of exhortation can come along to a person like that and say, "It's going to be OK. It's going to be all right. God will use them in such a way as to comfort that person to get them to where they need to be. This is an an unbelievable motivating gift. I thank God, and I'm not saying this lightly, that my wife has this gift (laughs) because she's really exhorted me in ways that I would not be who I am if God had not used her in that way. It's really neat to have somebody with that gift from a pastor teacher's point of view. And how she uses it has been really beneficial in my life. And I can see that it's beneficial in the church. When the person with the gift for exhortation realizes what their gift is and allows the Holy Spirit to use them, they're able to motivate the saints. All of us can exhort each other. You can see that. But that person with the gift is able to exhort in a different way than the average believer. And it makes the body of Christ better. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and grateful to as believers that we have the opportunity to be able to uh, use our gift in a way that glorifies you. Thankful for the one with the gift of exhortation and how you use them to accomplish your will. We're thankful, Father, that they're able to motivate the saints one side by admonishment, the other side by encouragement. We're thankful, Father, for that potential and how the body could be made uh, better as the person with the gift of exhortation used their gift to bring glory to you. And we're thankful for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.